The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, coming at you after a Monday night football victory over the Washington Redskins football team. The Chicago Bears win 31-16, and that was a big win for our beloved Bears. Big podcast coming up here, including Olin Krutz, former Chicago Bears center, analyst for 670 The Score, all over Twitter. We love Olin. Great to have him part of the Bears fam and great to have him on the podcast. Looking forward to that coming up here in a little bit. But before we get to Olin, let's get to a few things here. And I got a lot on my mind, so let's see how much I can squeeze in because I don't want to ramble on and on. First, let's talk about the game on Monday night. Great to see them get a win. Great to see Mitch Trubisky play well. Maybe you're not saying it was his breakout game, but play well on Monday Night Football, those primetime games, those nationally televised games, hadn't gone well for Mitch in the past. Really good to see that. So we're going to get to that, more about that in a second here with Ryan Clark from ESPN. Got to to discuss that there. But I want to talk about the defense because that is the Chicago Bears defense that we need to see. There was nothing wrong with how the Chicago Bears defense played against Denver and Green Bay. Obviously, they shut down those offenses. They didn't get they didn't give up a lot of points. So that was great. But he, here's the thing. Where the offense is right now, and they're 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 still kind of finding that identity. They're really not in a rhythm. I know it was better against Washington, but we're we're still not seeing an explosive offense. They're not good enough for the defense to just play solid football, three and outs punt, play the field position game, maybe give up a couple first downs before the punt and and have the Bears have the ball on their own 30. This offense isn't good enough to sustain three, four, you know, 60, 75 yard drives, whatever it may be to score points. They're not good enough to put together long sustained drives throughout the entire course of the game. So they need the defense to be even better. Is that unfair? Maybe it's unfair, but they need the defense to play like they did against Washington. Make plays, sacks, turnovers, 
pin them deep, give the Bears a short field, whether that be via turnover or because they're punting from their own end zone and, and getting the ball at midfield. That's what this offense needs right now. Unfair or not, that's the situation. So the Chicago Bears defense that the Bears need is the one we saw against Washington, not the one against Denver and Green Bay. That's still an elite defense, but they need those plays to be made. So the fact that they did that, I love the Danny Trevathan, the, the juke sack where he, he pretended the ball was off and then got to Case Keenum. There were so many great things. Ha ha, Clinton Dix had a great game, including the pick six. That was a lot of a lot of good to see, especially after Amos torched the Bears there with that interception. Mitch gift wrapped it for him, but nevertheless, that interception that ended the game against Green Bay, that was a hard pill to swallow. So seeing the defense play like the 2018 Chicago Bears defense was great. Now, as we're talking about this game, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Ryan Clark. Because, look, I watched the Monday Night Football game, game ends, Bears win comfortably. I'm feeling good about everything. Leave ESPN on. Scott Van Pelt show comes on. SVP does a great job. I'm a fan of his. And then they have Ryan Clark on to do a little analysis. Now, Ryan Clark's analysis was focused on Mitch Trubisky, and it was fine. It was fine. The, the, a lot of the criticisms we, we keep hearing about Mitch, about his progressions, about accuracy on the deep ball, all these things, that, that's fine. I understand. Bears fans, I think, for the most part, understand where Trubisky is and where he needs to be. But then, as his analysis is, is wrapping up, he drops a bomb that he says, if Mitch doesn't improve, he's on his way to becoming Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell. Now, that was one of the most asinine comments I have ever heard an analyst say. Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell, probably the two biggest quarterback busts in the history of the league, and he's going to compare Mitch Trubisky to them. I, I don't care what he's trying to say, but you cannot compare Mitch to those guys. Mitch is already significantly better than those guys. To even breathe their names next to Mitch Trubisky's is totally unfair and it really bothered me so what did i do i put ryan clark on blast on twitter now i'm not one to tag guys that's not what i do on twitter when i when i give opinions or whatever but bears fans very happy to tag ryan clark on that tweet and basically call him a jackass so what did ryan clark do ryan clark puts me on blast about my comments we went back and forth it was a lot of fun i i'm not complaining about that now here's where i'll give ryan clark a lot of credit so my day job, I'm the executive producer of Mad Dog Radio, the all sports channel on Sirius XM. So we're, we're, our channel's having a lot of fun with my back and forth with Ryan Clark. We decide to reach out to Ryan Clark and see if he'll come on, which he did oblige. I give him a lot of credit for coming on to defend his stance on what he was saying about Mitch Trubisky. So I'm going to play you just a chunk of the interview. This is, Ryan, uh, this is Ryan Clark with Danny Cannell and Steve Torrey, Dog Day Sports on Mad Dog Sports Radio. Here's his defense of what he was saying about Trubisky. When you look at Mr. Trubisky's career, if I had to say a guy I think he could follow the path of, that would be a guy like Alex Smith. So it would have been easier for me to say, you know, this is a guy who could be looked like looked at as Alex Smith when you compare him to Aaron Rodgers. But I don't necessarily believe that's it. And I could have went to guys like, you know, Tim Couch and Blaine Gabbard and Ponder and some of these other first-rounders that didn't necessarily pan out. But it still doesn't equal to what Mitchell Trubisky is facing. Because Mitchell Trubisky won't just be measured by who he is. 
Patrick, he'll be measured by the two guys picked behind him. Uh, if you look at Patrick Mahomes, he's a guy who, if we knew he was going to be what he is, he would be the number one pick in any draft. Deshaun Watson was obviously called Michael Jordan by his college coach. And these two guys are carrying football teams. Mitchell Trubisky is on a team that's made to win from a defensive standpoint. I do think they have deficiencies outside, but this is the year he was supposed to take a step. And if you watch him through the first two games, you look at a Denver defense that has really been carved up by two other teams this year, and if he doesn't get a call on Bradley Chubb, you, you lose to Joe Flacco, who Emmanuel Sanders even said, this team is living in a world of suck. So when you look at where Mitchell Trubisky is, them moving up to take him, the monumental miss it will be if Mitchell Trubisky doesn't win a Super Bowl or doesn't get you to a Super Bowl right now with this defense you have because he's going to get paid. He's going to get a second deal like an Alex Smith would, and some of these players around him are going to be gone. And if he's not better from the pocket, if he's not more efficient, if he's not more accurate, it's going to be a monumental miss because the guy picked 10th has a chance to be the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. That is inexcusable from an executive standpoint, and that's just my thought. And so, no, he'll have a better career than uh, Jamarcus Russell. He'll have a better career than Ryan Leaf. I get your mind immediately goes to Mitchell Trubisky's already better than those two guys. I agree with that. Once, you know, your guy's producer hit me up and put me on blast, <laughs> I in, I enjoy that interaction because it does give me an opportunity to expound. It was just so late. I was too tired to answer every Chicago <laughs> Bear fan. I don't know if there's a Chicago Bears fan that would argue if they have Patrick Mahomes, they win a Super Bowl. All right. Now, I don't have a problem with 99% of his analysis about Trubisky. And, and he throws out the fact that he could have said guys like Christian Ponder and, and players like that. That's still unfair to Trubisky. And I get what he's trying to say. He's trying to say if Trubisky is just eh, and Patrick Mahomes is in a category with Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, that it's going to be a monumental miss. So I get that. I get what he's trying to say. So he's trying to say it'll be such a monumental miss because Patrick Mahomes is so good that he's, he's going to be Ryan Leaf. No, you, you, no, that is unfair. Trubisky, what we see of him right now, he's going to be a legitimate NFL quarterback. There's no doubt in my mind he's going to be a legitimate NFL quarterback. And what I mean by that is he's going to have a 10, 12-year career. He may eventually, if he doesn't put it together, find himself as a backup or one of these quarterbacks that bounces around teams every couple of years because, you know, he's not good enough to carry a franchise, so he's a veteran filler, you know, like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't think he's going to be, like, right there, but... You know, he could become that type of player. So if you want to compare him to Marcus Mariota, to Jameis Winston, I completely agree with that. If you want to compare him and be a little harsher and compare him to a Ryan Tannehill or a Blake Bortles, I'll listen. But to compare him to those two guys, no matter what your point was, you cannot, cannot compare that. So I give him all the credit in the world for coming on to try and expound on what he was saying on SVP show. But no matter what he says, you cannot invoke those names when talking about Mitch Trubisky. Now, speaking of Mitch Trubisky, there is one last thing I want to get into here. And that is Ryan Pace, because there was a tweet that was sent out Sunday morning about Bryce Callahan really having problems with his foot and perhaps having to miss the season 
miss the season because of the struggles he has with his foot. I, I don't know exactly what his situation is, but he's struggling. He's not getting on the field for Denver. That's a problem. So I sent out a tweet because, look, if I'm critical of Ryan Pace, I, I will I will absolutely say it publicly, and I will say if I'm wrong. I didn't think that Cam Meredith was a good idea. He had too much potential. I understand the injury was devastating, but I didn't like the move. Cam Meredith can't get on the field. That was clearly the right decision by Ryan Pace. Bryce Callahan, same thing. I did not want to let Bryce go. I thought Bryce was fantastic for this defense. Again, not getting on the field. Looks like the right call by Ryan Pace. So I basically sent out a tweet saying, tough to question Ryan Pace when he keeps making these right choices. It was about deciding the makeup of the roster. It was about talking about which players he needed to keep and which players he needed to let go because with the salary cap and you're getting enough talent on this roster, you have to balance it. You have to figure out who you're keeping. You can't keep everyone. That was the point of the tweet. And it turns into an absolute Ryan Pace destruction by Bears fans. I was so agitated with Bears fans. Here it is. The Bears are two and one. They've got a home game coming up and then they got the Raiders in London. They got a shot to be four and one going into their bye. I should be thrilled right now, but I'm still agitated with the attack that I got because I supported Ryan Pace. Now there were plenty of guys going in there and fighting Pace's battle with me, but come on Bears fans. If you're anti Ryan Pace, I genuinely don't understand it. Yes. He might have missed on the quarterback. And that's a huge, huge black mark on Pace's resume. I get that. I am not going to sit there and say Trubisky's ever going to be better than Patrick Mahomes. He's not. Now, to be fair to Ryan Pace, for the most part, Mitch Trubisky was QB1 in that draft class. A couple people said Watson. Nobody said Mahomes. Nobody. In fact, the Chiefs, according to MMQB, had Mitch Trubisky first. So for everyone to go, oh, well, Andy Reid had Pat Mahomes. No, Andy Reid wanted Mitch Trubisky, and when that wasn't an option, he had Mahomes over Watson. So you give him credit for that. You give Reid credit for that, but he still would have rather had Mitch Trubisky. You could have traded Mitch Trubisky to the Chiefs on draft night for Patrick Mahomes and a draft pick. And a draft pick. So stop sitting there and saying that Pace is an idiot because he drafted Mitch Trubisky. And the amount of fans that still sit there and complain about Mike Glennon who cares about Mike Glennon? This guy was a stopgap quarterback. He paid him $18 because he paid him as a starter because he wanted to try and cloak the idea that he was a taking a quarterback with the number three pick. That was the idea. He, Do you really think that he goes, Mike Glennon is my starter, and then a month later in the draft decided to draft a quarterback at number three? You don't think that was his plan from the get-go? Mike Glennon, in terms of the, looking at this rebuild, was a completely irrelevant guy. I understand he was the quarterback, and I understand those four games were dreadful. I sent out a tweet when they signed Glennon about how it was the most uninspiring move this franchise has ever made. I didn't like the move. But to sit here years later still bashing him, for signing Mike Glennon. Get off it. Mike Glennon was never a part of the rebuild. Yeah, it didn't work out. Who cares? The whole point of this thing was get, to make the Bears a Super Bowl contender. He's built up a great roster. 52 guys that you have to feel confident in. And yeah, the quarterback's a question mark. So I'm not sitting there saying the guy's infallible. But the amount of hate and vitriol and how much a lot of this fan base thinks Ryan Pace is atrocious. Let's back the truck up, 
to when he got this job. Do you remember the end of the Mark Tressman era? Do you remember the fact that the Chicago Bears gave up back-to-back 50-point games to the Packers and Patriots? No team's done that still, including this awful Dolphins team, since the 1920s. The Bears were a laughingstock. They had basically no talent on the roster. Pace ripped everything up, started over. He kept a handful of guys. He kept McManus. He kept Leno. He kept Kyle Fuller, Kyle Long, and Pat O'Donnell. That might be it. I don't think I'm missing anyone else. They kept nothing off this roster. They started over. And to sit here and continue to bash this guy for starting this franchise over and getting this much talent on the roster in just a few years just boggles my mind. And the other thing, let me catch my breath. The other thing is Kevin White. Kevin White is a bust. I get that. He is a bust. I am not going to defend anything about Kevin White. But the idea that he blew that pick, that draft is terrible. Go look at it. So my argument always on Kevin White is, who did you want the Bears to pick? Don't sit there. I I had someone saying Landon Collins. Landon Collins was a second round pick. If Pace took him seventh, he would have been fired four months into the job. Who did you want the Bears to pick at seven? Go back and think about it. Go look at the draft. Was it Vic Beasley? Vic Beasley had one year. He's a rotational edge. He's, He's nothing. He's not an impact player. Forget Vic Beasley. The one that is so hindsight 2020 is Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon. I hear those all the time. Todd Gurley. Now, now forget the arthritic knee and the fact that his career is already winding down. Todd Gurley. Again, let's backtrack to the season prior with Tressman. Matt Forte had 1,800 all-purpose yards and 10 touchdowns. He was literally the only player on that team that, that had a good season. The rest of that team was trash. So you want... Let me, let me get this straight. Now, first of all, I don't think you should ever take a running back in the top 10. Maybe you make a, an exception for a guy like Saquon Barkley, generational talent. You should never pick running backs that high. They're, they're interchangeable. So we've got Matt Forte, literally the only positive note coming off that last year of Mark Tressman. The draft comes up. You want Ryan Pace with his first ever selection to take a running back coming off a torn ACL to replace Matt Forte, who is the only good player on the team. Stop with the hindsight 2020 stuff. I am so sick and tired of defending Ryan Pace. He is a good GM. He's made mistakes. Every GM has. For guys, they get to oh, Hironis Grasso, what a terrible pick. Jonathan Bullard, what a terrible pick. How about his draft record is impeccable. He got two all pros, not pro bowlers, All pros in the fourth round. He got Jordan Howard in the fifth round. He got Adrian Amos in the fifth round. Stop ripping this Bilal Nichols fifth round. Stop ripping this guy. Stop it. He may have missed on the quarterback. We'll see. Hopefully Trubisky continues to develop this year. Hopefully he can become an Alex Smith or maybe even a little better. The the jury is still out on him. Stop. Just stop bashing Ryan Pace. All right. I feel better. I needed to get that off my chest. Now that I've got that off my chest, let's get to our guest. Before we get to our guest, though, let's take a time out here. You're listening to Bears Banter. We'll be back right after this. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to Bears Banter, and let's get to our guest. I know that was a pretty lengthy monologue, but guys, stop with Ryan Pace here. Stop. All right, and and Ryan Clark, we, we needed to discuss that. So moving on, here he is, very excited for this guest, Olin Krutz. Former longtime center of the Chicago Bears. Great center for the Chicago Bears. He joins us now. We're going to have a good conversation here. He's at Olin underscore Kroots. You hear him on the score. You see him on, on, on the NBC post game. You see him everywhere. He joins us now. Olin, Bill Zimmerman, thanks so much for jumping on. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, no, thank you. So great win here uh, against Washington on Monday Night Football. A lot of positives, I thought, on both sides of the ball. So let's start with the hot-button topic, which is Mitch Trubisky. I think all Bears fans, whether they think he's destined to be a very good quarterback or destined to not, uh, were very concerned with what they saw the first two games. A lot of positive steps forward uh, in game three. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I thought that I was hoping that he that drive against Denver at the end of the game, he makes that play uh, to Allen Robinson in the middle of the field. And you're just looking for a little confidence out of this quarterback, right? Just take steps forward, start to play, uh, be a little more settled in the pocket. And, and I was hoping that when he made that play, it took a little pressure off of him. And you're just hoping that he keeps growing in that way. So they go, uh, you know, they go and play Washington and he makes a few more plays. He looks a little more under control, uh, gets it to his playmakers. Now, look, the Redskins didn't look like they knew how to run any coverage that they were running and how to carry crosses and guys dragging across the field. But that's okay. All, all you got to do is beat who you play. And, and he made a few plays in this game, especially the one to Taylor Gabriel in the corner. It's kind of a play. I don't know about you, but I've been waiting to see him make where uh, things kind of break down in the pocket. He scrambles around and he, he hits a big throw because this offense hasn't had a lot of expo- explosive plays in the first three weeks. So it was just good to see Mr. Trubisky in the last two weeks now make two big plays and then and then also execute the layups. And by that, I mean just hit the guys who are wide open, uh, these playmakers they, they put on this team and let them make plays. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that assessment. And, and, you know, you're right. That Gabriel play was fantastic. Almost had a similar play to Tariq Cohen against Denver. Uh, but, you know, just, you know, under three. And, and that's as, what I mean, right, Bill? He, he's missed those in the first two games, right? Right. And I think I think it was, um, I think in Green Bay, if I remember correctly, wasn't it Taylor Gabriel he underthrew and Taylor Gabriel had to get the pass interference, right? Yeah, correct. To make that catch. So, so like, you know, I hate to bring these names up because it's a hot bucket topic, but like Mahomes, you know, or like Lamar Jackson, just making that, you know, the quarterback's got to make one or two big plays in every game. He doesn't got to make all of them. I understand he'll miss a few, and I understand I understand just from watching film that every quarterback misses a wide-open receiver, right? People always say, wow, I saw that guy wide open on that play. Well, the one thing you don't know is, is that receiver even running the right damn route? Is he in the right place? So um, just good to see him. Now, that's two games in a row now. Uh, Mitch Trubisky makes a big play to Allen Robinson. 
to win the game in Denver. And then he makes another big explosive play to Taylor Gabriel. So uh, just that's the growth I, I'm hoping that keeps coming. Absolutely, because I, I think this look. If if this offense had a Patrick Mahomes, look, we know we know what this team could be. But the way this defense is set up, the way the offense is set up, they they need an Alex Smith right now, and and Trubisky can be that if he, like you said, if he makes some of the plays and keeps the keeps the chains moving and does the things he has to do. Now, I had Jim Miller on your old signal caller last week, and and we talked about those first two games, and he thought a lot of it. With the Trubisky struggles was on Nagy, a lot of quick one-read passes, you know, really kind of handcuffed him a lot. And really, he wanted to see them open the playbook, give Mitch some more options. And it looked like he did that against Washington. Did you have some issues with Nagy the first couple games? Yeah, I thought, you know, it's kind of, it's always the chicken or the egg question, right? Who, When you're watching an offense on film, okay, whose fault is this? And then it usually, if you really watch it, it usually ends up being – it's always on somebody, right? It's, all, it's, it's everyone. It's the offensive line. It's the receivers. Uh, the fact that they had no running game. The fact that they built their team where it's hard to run the ball, honestly. They don't have a lot of run blockers on the field, right? If you, if you put all these weapons on the field, uh, guess what they don't do? They don't run block. Uh, Coach <laughs> Nagy did not have a good first two weeks, but if you, if you look at the film, Bill – Okay, let's talk about the, the play Tremont Williams pushes Allen Robinson out of bounds against the Green Bay Packers, right? And Coach Nagy sets this play up perfect, gets it to inside the 30-yard line to score where he wants to be to call it, calls the perfect play, a fake uh, screen to his right, the cornerback bites, and all Mr. Bissy got to do is put it out there in the end zone so Allen Robinson could catch it. Well, he underthrows it a little bit. Tremont Williams admittedly makes a great play, uh, reads it, and pushes Allen Robinson out of bounds. Well, as a play caller, uh, you only get two or three of those a uh, game where you actually set an NFL defense up for a big play. So you set that up, and then it doesn't come, right? You, you, the guy doesn't execute the play for you. And guess what you become? A little gun shy now. A, a little like, you know, what do I call? There were even a few of those uh, in the Cleveland game uh, they ran a wheel route. I can't remember to who right now. And the guy was wide open. And you can tell that uh, Coach Nagy was not happy with Mitch Trubisky when they got to the sideline because, uh, as we saw in the Cleveland game, he's probably telling him, like, look, uh, I get, like, he gets into the line of scrimmage, he gets the look he wants, and he tells him, look at the wheel route, right? It, 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 it's going to be open here, and he still doesn't throw it. So um, I think they're all struggling a little bit. I think it has to do with Mitch, Coach Nagy, uh, the offensive line, the playmakers not making plays. And, and like, like we talked about earlier in this interview, man, you, you're just hoping that these two games against Denver, the one play against Denver they made, and then the, uh, uh, the Washington Redskins game, you're hoping this offense is starting to gain a little rhythm because let me tell you, they got a tough defense coming to town this week. Yeah, they, they absolutely do. And I, I really want to dive into the offensive line. But before I do, I want to jump over to the defensive side of the ball really quick because obviously the game we saw against Washington was a fantastic game. They're forcing turnovers. They're getting all over Case Keenum. You know, it just looked exactly like the defense that, that we saw last season. Now, there was nothing wrong with the way the defense played the first couple of games, but the way the offense is right now until it really gets a rhythm – 
it just with the defense not causing those big plays and kind of playing that field position battle, I just the offense wasn't at a position where they could sustain three, four, five, you know, 60, 70 yard drives and get points on the board. So the defense, as well as it was playing, unfair or not, I don't think was doing enough to help out the offense. But we saw them spark the offense with how well they played against Washington. And hopefully we'll be seeing more of that defense moving forward. (laughs) <laughs> right, and, and, it's, and we, we understand it's a big ask, but when you watch these guys, man, can they be a special defense, right? And, and you line them all up, and we all know what Khalil Mack is, except for maybe the Grudens. The Grudens are, don't seem to be very impressed with him. One trades him, and the other one thinks he doesn't have to double him in a Monday night football game. So the rest of us know that Khalil Mack is, is a Hall of Famer who can change games in an instant. But if you put Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman – Trevathan, Raquan Smith, Leonard Floyd, Fuller, HaHa Clinton, Dix, Eddie Jackson, all these guys are on the field on one defense. And it's, I mean, they are a special unit who can cause a lot of turnovers. And you can tell that Case Keenum, just by watching film, was seeing ghosts out there already. You know, he didn't know where to throw the ball. Uh, Quarterback sneak, uh, a fourth and one, he's reaching it over (laughs) like it's goal line for whatever reason. He thinks he scored a touchdown, and, and then it's, you know, it's not a fumble. So um, these guys, uh, they get after you. Uh, you know, they get after the quarterback. Leonard Floyd seems to be playing better. Uh, they got so much speed at middle linebacker that, yes, uh, they can create turnovers. And I think that, you know, going back to the play caller and Coach Nagy, I think that some of that play calling is, is you're like, okay, now um, how much do I take a chance? Because – the only way the Bears can start losing to teams like Denver and Washington is turn the ball over, right? So if you open it up, uh, you'll get you could possibly get a Mitch Trubisky from the Rams last week, who gives you and, and the defense still won that game, but gives you three interceptions, and now you give this team that if you don't turn the ball over, it's almost a hundred percent that you win. Now you give this team a chance to win. A- absolutely, and and l- let me ask you about one play on the defense. Uh, and, and that was Danny Trevathan's sack up the middle, which, you know, if people haven't seen it, if, if people haven't seen it, you know, I recommend go find the video on, on, on Twitter where Trevathan, he, he comes in on a blitz, stops like the ball's off and just kind of looks off to the side, completely fakes out the offensive line, then, then di- you know, darts the gap and gets the Keenum and gets the sack. In all your years on the offensive line, have you ever seen anyone try something like that? Yes, yeah, th- that's been around for a while now. That's the... A- there's a coffee house blitz and uh, Jim Miller would know the name. I, I, you know, I think the guy's name for the lions was Boyd. I think Steven Boyd was their middle linebacker in my second or third year in the NFL, which would have been 99, 1999. Gosh, am I old? And 2000. <laughs> and he used to run that blitz. Uh, Brad Culpepper, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense alignment, the nose guard. He used to do that on TT games. This is tackle. And tackle gates, he would act like he was looking at the the uh, deep, uh, Warren Sapp, which would make you freak out because that's Warren Sapp. So you got to go over there and hit him. And then he would just run straight ahead. So, yeah, that fake blitz or fake game, uh, that's been around for a long time. But obviously with social media nowadays, uh, these are all first time I've ever seen this thing going on, right? But really – Guy's been doing that probably since the 1980s. Gotcha. Yeah, I've, I've never seen. I, I mean, I've never seen it executed that well. It was. I don't know. He just. He really I, uh, sold it. It was a lot of fun. 
<laughs> I have. I, I think it was executed that well on me a few times. <laughs> One more on the defense. I want to ask you about Ha Ha Clinton Dix, who had a great game. You know, a lot of Bears fans, you know, were really high on Amos or thought Amos wasn't, you know, quite as good as you know Pro Football Focus and some of the other people thought he was. Clinton Dix comes in obviously on a a, a bargain deal. How have you seen the defense there with Dixon instead of Amos? I think it's kind of a perfect defense for HaHa Clinton Dix because he does not have to play the run too much or come downhill and be in the box. And when he does, you know, they're probably telling him, you got to do this two or three times a game and you have to do it aggressively, right? Because that front seven, they don't really need another guy in the box to stop the run. That's how good they are. So he can be back there kind of playing center field, reading the quarterback, doing what everybody knows he does well anyway, right? Where uh, he can read the quarterback and break on balls and use his uh, experience in the NFL and know where the ball is going. And then, you know, he plays the team that he played for. So he, he, he even more, he's comfortable on the field against the Washington Redskins. He understands sets and alignments and, and where the quarterback wants to go with the ball, where Gruden wants to attack. So uh, look, it's, it's only been three games. But, but he looks good that he has fit in well. Uh, you, you, you're going to have to watch as this season wears on uh, with Akeem Hicks' knee now. Um, how healthy is Akeem Hicks? Uh, Bilal Nichols broke his hand. Do we need to start getting a safety up there in the box to stop the run? And, oh, guess what? Uh, here comes Cook and Rick Dennison and Gary Kubiak and the zone system uh, out of Minnesota, and they're going to try to pound the ball at you. So, um, interested to see. I think Haha's fit in well. Interested to see as this season goes on. We have two ball hawking safeties. Do we need that eighth man in the box to stop the run? Yeah, and I, I think it'll be fascinating against the Vikings because, like you said, they're going to want to utilize Cook, and Cook's been fantastic. And if you if you can stop Cook and force Cousins to throw, we've seen Cousins makes mistakes, and you can't do that yeah, against the Bears. Yeah, force that offensive line to pass block, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, those are things we want to see. So now speaking of the offensive line, let's move over back to the offense with the Bears offensive line because, you know, they were pretty rotten there against the Packers and, and thought, you know, maybe it was Russ, maybe it was no preseason, whatever you want to say, a little better against Denver. And I really kind of thought they'd put it all together against Washington. I know Massey was out, but I'm still not seeing that same offensive line that I saw last season. Right. And, and they've had some communication problems, which when you, when you have that, you know, let's talk about the Packers and the one that everybody seems to see on film is um, Martinez blitz right up the middle and no one picks him up right on that first, on a second, third down, I think it was. And that's a communication problem between uh, the offensive line and the running back. So now you got to get into the blitz pickup plan that they install on Thursday afternoons for third down. And you have to get into, okay, now what, what, what did they talk about in that meeting? How were they handling that look? And it didn't seem like they handled that very well. So they're having some communication problems on the offensive line, uh, getting guys on who they want them on and working together as far as I'm talking about just pass protection, right? And really that falls on uh, everybody. It falls on the quarterback, getting the running back on the right guy, the center, getting everybody blocking the right people, the offensive line all knowing their job. So uh, they have struggled a little bit. I know Massey went down, but, but that I think it's kind of a – you know, I think it goes back to the fact that the whole offense is struggling not to make plays. And if you don't get a first down, uh, then the D-line is just always attacking you. Uh, as far as the run game goes, 
you know, some sometimes it looks like they, if we're talking about just the offensive line, that they're going to the wrong linebacker. So they just all got to get on the same page and kind of get a rhythm going with the rest of the offense. Let's just talk about uh, Denver last week when they almost get that safety with Ioannidis uh, runs through there. And it looks like Kyle thought he had help from uh, James Daniels. Well, look, uh, two things have to happen there. Yes, James Daniels has to get over there and give Kyle inside help. But the first thing that has to happen is that Kyle Long, he can't take that kick step where he, he just kicks right past the D tackle. So uh, uh, the good thing is that it's not that these guys can't do it. And that's what really scares you when you watch someone and you're like, oh, you know, Bill, and you're like, man, that guy had perfect technique on that play, but he still could have blocked the guy, right? That, that's what worries you. But this team, these offensive linemen, when they're doing the right things, they can block people. So uh, that, that's the plus. They just got to all get on the same page and start all working together, and, and then things will start flowing a little better. Let, let, let me ask you, in essence, a, a tough question, because it's a question I don't want to ask as, as one of my, my favorite Bears here this, this last you know decade or so. Kyle Long, to me, is kind of standing out as – someone who might even be struggling more more than the rest of the group. I don't know if it's his age catching up with him, all the injuries had the last last few years. Would, would you agree with that assessment? And do you think Kyle can get back on track, or are we maybe seeing Kyle's body breaking down? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a huge fan of Kyle Long. I think that he has to um, maybe, you know, we, we'll never know how bad that hip is, right, that, that just popped up on the injury report. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I, I still see him, like, like we just talked about earlier with the rest of the guys, you still see him making some unbelievable blocks because he is an unbelievable athlete, right? But I would have to agree with you, uh, not to dance around the question, because I'm like you, I'm, I'm a big fan of Kyle Long's, but I would have to agree with you that he hasn't played well in the first three weeks. I think if you asked him, he'd probably say he wants to play better. I don't think they've got the movement in the run game out of Kyle Long that they've wanted. And I also think that he's been in the quarterback's lap a little too much on pass protection. So um, really what really that offensive line uh, uh, needs Kyle Long to not only be uh, a good offensive lineman, but they need to be, they need him to be on an all pro level and, and get his game back to where it was. So, um, you know, I guess if my quick, my answer to your question is uh, I haven't seen it. And if you don't see it, yes, you start to worry about uh, have the have the injuries finally caught up to him. Yeah, and 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 hopefully hopefully he can turn it around here. Obviously the you know, the offensive line's a lot better with them, you know, firing on all cylinders. So and, right. and while while we're on the uh, you know the interior part of the line, what have you seen with the Daniels Whitehair switch? You know, positives negatives. A positive, I think that they they are both in their position that they can play the best. I think James Daniels, and I'll continue to say this, I think he's going to be an extremely, extremely good center. He makes blocks out there uh, that not a lot of guys can make, Bill. He, he makes, he, 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 not a lot of guys can base a nose guard. By base, I mean one-on-one. You have a one-on-one -on -one block with the nose guard that can base a nose guard and walk him off the ball. And James Daniels does this. Uh, he's got enough athleticism to get to the second level. Uh, he has great hands on pass protection. The only thing I don't know is I don't know by watching the film when I start to see a lot of mental errors, I don't know how much of that is him. I don't know how much of that has he taken over this line yet 
Uh, does he feel comfortable being a leader? Does he feel comfortable with his calls and putting guys on the right guys? And sometimes being comfortable is just willing to make a mistake. Like you're not going to be perfect during the game. So let's point. So a center will point the linebacker, right? And, and that, that sets everybody's blocking scheme. So if I point to 52, it gives everybody, I'm going to 52 or you're going to 52, and it puts everybody in who they got. So uh, that's the only part of his game I haven't seen uh, I, I haven't seen enough of yet because, uh, look, as a center, if not if everybody's not on the right guy, you have to take uh, some responsibility for that because you set the blocking scheme. Uh, you know, that Kenny Clark beat him on that third and one. Look, um, Kenny Clark coming across your face on third and one when you're trying to fly off the ball, uh, we all get beat like that at some point in the NFL. As far as, far as Cody Whitehair goes, uh, I mean, what, what a, the Bears are lucky to have this guy who – potentially could play every position on offensive line. And by that, I mean, he was, he was an All-American left tackle at Kansas State. Now, he wouldn't be the, your ideal tackle in the NFL, but he could do it in, in a pinch. Uh, he looks like he's in a natural position at guard. He's built like a guard, and, and he's getting better and better. I know the first week he struggled picking up some games with Zadarius Smith out there for the Packers, but uh, look at the Green Bay Packers. It seems like everybody's struggling against their new – two DNs, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, and that defense is playing on a high level. So uh, Cody has improved. He improved against Denver. He improved last week against the Washington Redskins. And I, and I think those two guys are in their right spot. And when they get really, really comfortable and gel together, and hopefully, like we talked about earlier, hopefully Kyle Long uh, gets back to his Pro Bowl form, I think they could have a really strong interior three. Yeah, and, and last one on the offensive line, and – I felt last year the team, both sides of the ball, rarely shot themselves in the foot with penalties. You know, they, they played a lot of clean clean football games, not a lot of penalties. The penalties never really seemed to hurt them. This year, especially on the offensive line, I'm seeing a lot more penalties. I, maybe it's just me or I don't have the numbers in front of me if it's an increase. But, you know, even Charles Leno out there, I think he's had four penalties. A mm-hmm. lot of penalties. Is, is that something that you, that you put on he stand or the team's just not focused? What, what, what do you think with the, with the penalties on the line? Yeah, and way well. First of all, way too many penalties, but it was up all over the league, right? They were emphasizing holding calls, uh, and then Tom Brady tweeted it out and said that, that was enough, and they seen a list of But, but um, yes, I mean, look, uh, Charles Leno, and they don't have the kind of offense right now that they can get into first and twenty and get that first down, right? So as soon as they're behind the chains, um, uh, they're in trouble. And and, and look, Harry Heastan, yeah. I, I'm, He'll take his fair share of blame. He coaches that unit. Uh, last year, they had the least amount of penalties. Uh, some of that, even last year, when they had the least amount of uh, holding penalties, some of that is luck, right? Uh, the ref just doesn't see it or doesn't throw it. Well, now uh, it seems like those flags are coming out. So, so you have to emphasize that even more in practice, right? Uh, uh, no, do not hold. Keep your hands open. Keep your feet moving. Keep your hands firing. Keep them out of the face. So they just got to emphasize this stuff, which I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm a good friend of Harry. He stands. Uh, I go to their practices sometimes, and these things are emphasized. But being a good friend of Harry, he stands, I know that he would tell you right now that, yes, that this is my responsibility. I, I need to get this corrected. I need to get these guys to stop holding guys and keep hands out of their face. So I promise you uh, they are working on that. And, yes, that penalties for the offensive line. I think James Daniels had two holdings last week, too. Uh, penalties for the offensive line 
has been a problem for this offense and something they need to get corrected. All right, last one for you. Vikings coming up. Will the Bears improve their record and win another one? Yeah, I think they will. I think that uh, the Vikings coming into Soldier Field uh, is a big advantage now. Uh, really, really uh, paying attention to this Akeem Hicks uh, right knee injury that he has, right? Because uh, the Vikings want to run the ball, and Akeem Hicks and Bilal Nichols is hurt already. So uh, Akeem Hicks being injured uh, could be a big storyline in this game. But if Akeem Hicks is there, I think that that offensive line the Vikings have, even with their uh, rookie center, Bradbury, who are very excited to watch him zone block him and Eddie Goldman go at it. It'll be very interesting to see that battle. Um, I don't think their line can handle the Chicago Bears defensive line uh, with the noise at Soldier Field. And I think the offense does just enough against the Minnesota Viking defense uh, that they come out with the win here. Well, it doesn't get any better than that. Olin Krutz at Olin underscore Krutz. You hear him all over the score, NBC. Olin, thanks so much for jumping on this podcast. Really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, bro. All right. Great little spot there with Olin Krutz. Really appreciate him coming on. Really like what he had to say about the offensive line. Well, I can't say I liked everything he had to say about the offensive line. There were definitely some criticisms in there. Hopefully this offensive line gets back to where they were in the past because the Bears had a very underrated offensive line last season. I thought they did a heck of a job. Not a lot of flashy names on there, but they haven't been sharp. You know, David Montgomery there at the end of that game, I thought he got a lot of those yards against Washington on his own. I don't think he got a lot of help from the offensive line. So that needs to improve against a much improved Vikings defense next week. The games at home, I think that home field advantage is going to be enough. Obviously, that defensive front needs to be healthy. They need to shut down Dalvin Cook. Let's force Kirk Cousins to throw the football because I believe Eddie Jackson had a pick six last year and he could gift wrap another one at any moment. That is what Kirk Cousins tends to do. So I don't want to babble on too long because that was a a bit of a lengthy podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you uh, enjoyed Olin Krutz. Apologize for my Ryan Pace rant, but please, Chicago Bears fans, have a little objectivity about what this guy's accomplished. That'll do it for Bears Banter. We'll talk to you next week, hopefully after another Chicago Bears victory, and we'll get you set for the Bears to go across the pond to face the Oakland Raiders. Bill Zimmerman here. Bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Adios. Adios.